0: is
1: curiosity as to where we are,
0: what we are. Existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Miller. Well, hello, Curious Humans. This is one of the longest and most wide-ranging episodes to date. It's a conversation with filmmaker, poet, relationship coach, and utterly unique human being, Alice Frank. She's genuinely one of the most present people that I've ever met and has a just truly astounding capacity to articulate some of the great mysteries of life. And I'm kind of at a loss for words for attempting to describe the ground that we covered, but we we begun with her spiritual awakening that lasted for about a decade. What that experience was like of being, of being no one um, followed by what she described as her, her breakup with God. We touched on why we lose sense of our, our, our sense of play and why we should strive to relieve reality of its seriousness, which I, I love that line. Um, and we then went into her journey from polyamory to more recently getting married, what that meant for her and why she created a beautiful set of mantra cards, which acts as a silent retreat in a box. So, this is a a beautiful conversation. Um, Hope you enjoy it. Uh, Without further ado, I give you Alice Frank. Hi there, Alice. It's lovely to have you on the. (laughs) Lovely to have you on here. Um, How are you feeling right now in three words?
2: Grateful, juicy, seated. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, I feel seated in, in this seat. And I'm also enjoying that it sounds like seeded. So may the seeds that we plant here sprout beautiful things.
0: Oh, I love that. It's getting poetic already. <laughs> uh, well, I feel like the, the seeds of this conversation could go in, go in many different directions. Mm. But there is a question that I, um, I love to start these conversations with. And the question is, were you exceptionally curious as a child? And if so, mm. could you maybe tell me a story about something that you were curious about?
2: good one i was exceptionally curious i think that that's very accurate on the way to nursery school i loved seeing roadkill i loved it <laughs> it was i was obsessed seriously i would see it and if if there was a dead animal it was like all of my attention turned outside. It was just like, oh my god, I get to see something dead. And I think what it was is that I was wanting to see the difference, like the part of the animal that was missing. Hmm. You know, it was the it hmm. was like, what what am I not seeing right now when I'm seeing hmm. this dead animal? And then it became a thing because my nursery school, for some reason, was like forty minutes away. And so the next day it would be like, I wanna, I wanna see this exact same spot and I wanted to see it decompose. Um, I was almost bummed when they took it away and it was just like a spot on the ground. It was like, oh, okay, because I think I really wanted to see what happens to the body as well. So that was nursery school. I don't know how old we are there, but yeah
0: wow that that was a very it <laughs> was a very unexpected answer and and I yeah, I, I love the imagery of this like childlike curiosity of examining the husk of a of a dead animal do, do you think that that was connected to um was was that connected to anything else for you at that time um I
2: think it was really I I remember after my grandfather died and I was really really young. Um, I'm not sure exactly, maybe I was eight, and we were at a bookstore. And one thing, we didn't have that much money. And one thing we were always allowed to buy was books, no matter what. So I think that's so beautiful about my parents. They were just like, you know, learning is the most important thing. But I was kind of bored and I was walking around, and it was all my aunts and uncles, and we were all just in this bookstore. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh my God, I could read about death. I could, this all sounds so morbid, but it wasn't. It was like, I could actually find out what happens when you die. And I, the fact that a bookstore was a place that had all of the information in the world was so exciting. And so I went up to the, the cashier and I said, hi, um, could I have a book about death? And she looked at me with these sort of sympathetic eyes, like, Yes, follow me. And I was so excited. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to find out everything. And I'm just going to read about it. I'm going to know everything. And she walked me over to the kids section, which really surprised me. I'm like, What are we doing here? This is, you know, kids do not know about death. And then she took out a book that looked a lot like my experience of you know my grandfather's funeral it was like a an old woman sitting on a bench with a granddaughter this black and white black and white photos and i was like oh she thinks i mean like people dying and i meant what happens after you die and on the way into my grim grand, my grandmother's um apartment after that, I said to my mom, like, oh, that was not the kind of death. I mean, that's not what I meant. And my mom said, well, you know, there's a problem because nobody knows. Nobody knows what happens after you die because you're dead. So actually nobody knows. And in that moment, I just remember everybody was a child to me. Like everybody, it was like my mom doesn't know anything. Even my grandfather who just died, the moment he died, he knew nothing. I just felt like all adults were children and that they actually don't know anything. And I really felt like in my lifetime, like, no, there's something in us that knows this. There's something that will know this, you know? Um, and I feel like when I opened a Kabbalah book, like when I was eighteen years old, for the first time, I opened a book of Kabbalah and I saw like the chart of the Tree of Life. And I felt like like that that moment came to me. It was like, oh, I'm seeing what I was looking for when I was eight years old. You know, like the sort of foundation of the universe
0: and as a as a follow-up to this, did you have any, any favorite books or stories growing up that come to mind?
1: I
2: didn't read that much. Um, as I, I remember Fall on Your Knees was my first favorite book, but that was when I was, you know, 17. And actually when I was 17, I also read the Fountainhead and Rand, which is obviously an extremely controversial book, but I feel, um, I, I love salvaging the beauty in things. I feel like everything has a mm. true spark, everything has an essence, and that it's so easy to call things by all of these names and categorize them and throw them out. And it's truly throwing the baby out with the bathwater.
1: Mm. And
2: I think, especially, you know, I, I think I read that book with such innocent eyes, and I really understand so fully what I loved about it and what was important to me. And I remember. Um, I, I just feel like what one thing she was trying to express is the fact of genius in each of us, and genius just meaning total uniqueness of each one of our beings, you know mm. that each one of our hearts, our souls, our fingerprints is a thumbprint, you know, it is. Mm. It is this thing that we must follow in order to find who we're going to be on the earth who what's going to make us happy on the earth that we have all these menu items and like would you like a B or C and it's like oh no none of those thank you I'm going to, you know, go to the kitchen and make, make what what I what my body wants what my tongue wants what I what I want to eat.
1: you know.
0: Mm that's that's beautiful it reminds me of um the conversations that i that i had recently with our mutual friend max and we talked about yeah. this idea of genius and yeah. how it's actually a relatively recent idea to think that we are the genius and that in in older times the the genius was considered something that was outside mm-hmm. of us something that we channeled something an we,
2: entity exactly
0: mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
2: Um, But I think it's funny that we think we're anything. I mean, we are channeling ourselves in each moment, you know? And if we take it a little less personally and want a little less credit for it and all of those things, then, I I mean, a voice, our, our voices can be so much more beautiful when we don't take them so personally when we're singing. Like, I don't know if this sounds good. It's like, get out the way, let it through, (laughs) it's gonna, it's gonna go much better, (laughs) you know, it's like, this is my voice, it's not, it's, it's a voice, and everything, like, I think, especially with love, you know, love, love just wants to come through us, you know, Mm. it's something that literally is trying, like, like water, I, for some reason, I pictured gutters, you know, it's just like, it's wanting to to water the whole planet all the time. And luckily it's like actually an infinite resource. And so there's plenty to water the whole planet. Um, But just like so many of our resources that we we think are scarce or, you know, like grain, like food, could actually water could feed in the whole world a whole bunch of times over. There's no problem, actually. But because of our distribution of it, um, it people end up lacking it. People end up starving. And so I think with love, it's a really interesting way to think about it is that it's a resource and that it just wants to come out of us. And so we we can kind of, let go the the withdrawal of it you know in our own beings
0: yeah i i love that and i love the image of it being like water and it it reminds me of a Rumi quote he talks about um your great task is to seek out the barriers to Mm. love and and kind of investigate the walls to that innate force that is within all of us
2: that's right and also we think we need to manufacture it like well i don't really know what you're talking about love i don't feel love i feel anger right now i feel a million other things you know but it, there's just like a sort of surrender in in contemplating and considering an idea that actually you are a very abundant supply of love. Mm -hmm. And so it's not something you have to make. It's not about being nice or even being loving. It's like something welling up inside of you that wants so badly to express itself out your Mm -hmm. heart and Mm -hmm. out your words and out your eyes as you walk. And it's really presence. I mean, that's what it Mm -hmm. is. It's like, and un, forget unconditional love it's unconditional presence like i am here and i can include any of what is being said or anything mm. that's happening i can be present to it you know
0: that's that's so beautiful and it um there's a definition of joy from um a monk called david stendel rast and he he says that joy is the happiness that doesn't depend on what happens
1: Mm-hmm. and what it
0: sounds like you're speaking to is this idea of that like that well of love that is within us as opposed to something that we feel like we we seek from partnerships we seek from friendships mm. we seek from the work that we do
2: yeah um, like i mean jesus says supposedly like that it's a peace that passes understanding you know mm. so Like we, it is actually like, I like that word understanding because it's beyond the logical mind. Like Mm -hmm. here's what I understand and there are limitations around that. And then there's a huge deluge of this that I am, this presence that can kind of flow right over all understanding and and be in this world. Mm -hmm. I like the idea also of all conditional love, like unconditional Mm -hmm. love that's hard, hard to work with. But all conditional is like, I can be with all of what is happening in my life. Mm. You know, I can be with it,
1: mm.
2: whatever it is. Mm.
0: You know? Yeah, I, I love that so much. And it, it's, it almost feels like the journey, at least speaking from my own experience, is, is one of going from the head to the heart. And, and mm-hmm. how do we bypass our overactive kind of analytical minds? um to access what is what is beneath that yes
2: yeah so much yes i mean that's everything Mm. (laughs) i mean i think that the that the mind um the mind gets so much bad rap but in a way like it's not the mind it's not the brain that's not what we're talking about it's the ego mind you know Mm. And it's not that it is bad, it's actually so necessary, this ego. But so often we just let it like it's like letting a teenager drive a car, you know, it's just like, uh, it's just really not a good idea. You know, it's not its job yet. So if the ego is just so often like a hand in front of the sun, you know, Um, or it's again, with the sun, it's like, Using the ego to think, like, okay, what am I and what am I good for? And it comes up with all of its stories. You know, it pretty much thinks I'm a light bulb when I am the sun. So it's just going to fall short. It's going to, it's going to limit, you know? So it's not that it's bad. We don't have to demonize it, it's not horrible. It's just that it needs to be put in its place. And when we are driving with the heart, the ego gets to like be in its place. It gets comfortable. It's like, oh, good. Mom is driving. That's great. I can take a nap. You know, I can just mm-hmm. let her know when I have to pee. I can just <laughs> let her know, you know, when I really want an ice cream. Yeah. And it's like a smooth ride that way. You
0: know? Yeah. Yeah yeah beautifully put it's it's like a it's a very effective and necessary servant but not not a master which I think is is where a lot of us begin and and something that I'm I'm curious about um we kind of dove straight into the deep end talking about unconditional love and, and the role of the ego and I'd love to I'd love to hear a little bit about what was your experience of of life like in your in your kind of teenage years after reading Anne Round and were there any moments or experiences that you feel like were were pivotal for shaping who you are today and this, this lens that you have on the world?
2: I feel like I really feel that I came into this world, a certain being um, as we all did, but that's just my experiences. Like whatever I am now, this is how I came in. Mm. And I really, I mean, I just remember being really little and, being like, Oh, I'm so glad they're telling the students this, you know, like, I'm like, I'm like, as if I was really, really old, like, Oh, good. They need help. They need to hear this or they're going to get in trouble. You know, And (laughs) I just think that, um, that I, I don't know. And I don't know. I never talk about this, but I, I was very artistic when I was so little, you know, mm-hmm. I just love to draw and I love to paint and I love to sing and I love to dance, you know? Mm-hmm. And those are the kinds of things where it's like, well, what was that? Where did that come from? And my dad talks about it now and then he'll just be like, we have no idea where you came from, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I, I feel it's like it came in, it came in that way. Um and I really love that. And I feel um, my teenage years were hmm, uh, that's I love that you're asking about this i I was in high school, and I was very bullied <laughs> because I was a new student. We moved from from Michigan to New Jersey. And right away, uh, all these, this one girl, especially decided to really be my bully, like a boy liked me and she liked him. And that's what it was going to be. She was going to kick my ass. That was the thing, you know, and I didn't even know who he was or if he, you know, why he liked me or whatever. It was just this girl hated me. Hmm. And um, it was horrible horrifying it was horrible and I think that what it did was hold like bind me to myself really really deeply because I would read Alice is a lesbian Alice has crabs Alice like all over the place like people would write things about me and there were just rumors everywhere about Mm -hmm. this new girl right Mm -hmm. And I had never kissed anyone. So I know I didn't have crabs, you know, I, I, that I had sex with everyone at my school, at my uh, summer camp, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. there were just like all these rumors that were so glaringly untrue. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was a gift in a lot of ways, because it disentangled anything that anyone ever said about me from my truth from then on. It was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Like, they have no idea who I am. And it's just not true, you know. So I think that we can hear things about us and be like, oh, my God, am I? Is that true? And for me, it was just so clear that it was like, no. And Mm. I, I will not I will not believe. I will not believe what people say about me ever again. <laughs> and it had to mean much less, like yeah, um, yeah.
0: That is a really beautiful interpretation of of that experience.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes a very wise
0: soul to be able to take that lesson from from that kind of childhood experience. And something else that I'm I'm intrigued about is. At, at least for myself and, and many of the people that I've talked to on this podcast, um, the period at school tended to almost repress and in some cases even yeah. even crush those artistic desires and tendencies and curiosities and you know the the spirit of asking a hundred questions in, in an hour. And do you f- do you feel like you were able to keep that sense of of like artistic expression intact throughout your schooling? Period, or, or was it in some ways a period of forgetting and you then came back to remembering that like essence of yourself in later life?
2: I think, uh, you know, each teacher is so, each art teacher is such an angel, <laughs> you know. Like, I think about it, they just like sent me to my own desk or they had me come in different hours so that I could like draw. You know, Mm -hmm. they made up an AP art class so that I could just come in a different day, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, really, I just feel like teachers were really important because they, you know, some of the teachers also had to do with what you're talking about, kind of crushing, crushing the spirit, you know, and I feel... I feel like there was always the spark of like the secret self alive in me so that when I would get good home, you know, any little place where I was allowed to express like, it was like, bam, you know, mm-hmm. like, Oh, I can make my mom laugh instead of making her me go to bed, you know, like, <laughs> like anything, anything, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, I think that is the way nature goes, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, it prevails. Um, I really quickly have a sweet story about my Latin teacher because I hated Latin. I was like, what the heck? They didn't even <clears throat> have Latin in Ooh, Michigan. Oh, so much. And my teacher was an uncool teacher. She had a huge space in between her front teeth and like, you know, her hair was falling out and it was just like, oh my, and she just like made the same joke about in when era and out the other over and over again, because that's a word, in when era. And and then one time she, she said, Alice, you have to come after class at lunch, you know, we need to talk about your grade, this whole thing. And she kept asking me to come. And I was resisting it and I would not come. And finally she had me come one time and, and, uh, she said, I'm going to fail you if you don't come today. And so I went and she said, I just want you to know that I heard, um, my, the, the grade above you talking about how you've been bullied and that it's because you're, you're nice Mm. that you and your sister are so nice and that, this school doesn't resonate with that you know they then they you know that your grade is just so bad <laughs> and <laughs> that you know this whole and and she just wanted me to know that she was like saving my life you know mm. wow. and so i just think that's mm. beautiful
0: mm. It sounds like you had some really great teachers at your school, <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly, even when we judge them so harshly, yeah,
0: yeah yeah well um i I'm thinking back to the other night where I had dinner with with our mutual friend max who who mm. put us in touch, mm. and he mentioned that I should ask you about your experience at Yom Kippur, mm-hmm. and that that is all that he shared, so yeah. assuming that you know what he's referring to um could you perhaps share the story that that's connected to?
2: Absolutely. Um, I would say that's like the pivotal moment of my life. Um, hmm. I was 20 years old and I was, I mean, actually it has to do with Anne Rand. I don't know if you knew that, but hmm. um, but it has to do with, that time in my life, I just thought, you know what, religion is a little bit, uh, I don't know if it's for me at all, you know? Mm -hmm. And in, in her book, like this idea of why do we go to churches and feel small? You know, we built these cathedrals. Why don't we go in there and feel really exalted? Why do we go in there and feel tiny? And, you know, Um, instead we should really feel our divinity pretty much is what I think she was saying Um, and and very close to God in a different way and uh, so I just really felt that and I, I I told my parents I wasn't coming home for Yom Kippur which wasn't the norm for me and I stayed home and I and I was sitting on my bed and and like I was not a spiritual seeker at all. I did not do yoga hardly at all, you know, just nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, I was an actor in New York City and I was like in, in my little tiny apartment in on West 64th Street and suddenly I just felt like this kind of sense of gravity, like physical gravity tugging on my body. And I was sitting on on my bed and my body just kind of, it felt to sit on the floor. I had no spiritual practice at all, but it felt like I wanted to light a candle. And so I did, and I was sitting on the floor and all of a sudden my body was just shaking and shaking. And I remember opening my eyes and seeing it sort of shaking in the same way that the flame was shaking. And I was just shaking, shaking. And there was like a surge of energy and my head went back and I felt like I got scalped. Like my head felt like it opened up and I felt a huge sense of ecstasy, like a huge just surge of, of oneness. And I kept saying, um, I just kept saying, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, it was like, it was as if something was in my eyes, like this very palpable feeling, like the air in the room became palpable, you know? It just felt like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, in total ecstasy. And it, it was, so before that, it's important to say that, like I was really kind of embarrassed for people who used the word God. Hmm. I, um, I felt like it was just not sophisticated or intelligent, you know? Like when they would, like I would read a playbill and it would be like, I just want to thank God or people on Oprah. It was just like, oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> i just like, and what I thought clearly and I really appreciate this opinion, you know, I get it, is um, that there's a whole bunch of things we don't know. I mean, we, we know, you know, a, a tiny fraction of reality, we can see a tiny fraction of reality, we don't know most of existence. And so that because that's scary, we, we kind of give this X factor of existence a name, which is God you know, just so that we have something to call it. We might as well call it X, you know? <laughs> and, and that when people would talk about it, it's just like, oh, like you're pretending. You obviously know you're pretending and that's Im- embarrassing. You know, that's what I felt. Like it was so clear. And I just thought it was embarrassing and unintelligent. And um, and then there I am sitting on the floor and it's it's more palpable, like this experience of like all of my cells felt totally one with the air around me in the same way as like a pixelated television. you know, like it's like it's on a television screen, there can be a desk and a person and the space between and it's all pixels, and you get that, oh, those, it's just all my television screen, you know, (laughs) and if you break it down, it's just a pixel. It doesn't matter if it's representing a person or a desk, and I felt exactly that like there were no boundaries to my body and it was just oneness 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 and one way a sea of this thing that we are and it felt like if I did not have a word that was coming out of my mouth so naturally oh my god 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 then I would have to make up a word to say what the heck was there, (laughs) you know? What what are we, what am I experiencing right now? You know, in the same way if I didn't believe in a couch and then I'm like, but I'm sitting on something, what should we call this thing that is soft that I am sitting on? You know, I could make up a word for it, but there's already a word for it, couch. Hmm. So clearly, like I just like fell in love With anything that talked about God, all of a sudden, instead of like judging all the religious people in the world, I would walk by people and just be like, I know, I know, you're right. You know, like there was a mosque right down my street and it was just like, oh my God, it's true. You know, you were right. I was wrong. You know, and at some point I recognized, like, oh no, 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 these people mostly. When I would look at them in the eye with like, "Oh my God, we both know God, you know, you are God that uh they didn't necessarily know the what I was doing <laughs> and that a lot of religion is about looking for that experience, uh, but not kind of coming from that place um, or not even looking for that experience, right so so after that, I kind of um Well, I I went through a long time of, I'll tell you this part, it was so sweet, is that the next day I didn't know what would happen, but I opened my eyes and it just was like, oh my God, oh my God, like right away, like the light felt that way in my eyes again, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was just ecstasy for a really long time. It was before I ever tried MDMA or any drug. And four years after that, I tried MDMA and I was like, Oh my God, I was like rolling, you know, (laughs) I was like, I could just explain this so much easier now, you know, and I was like rolling for many, many months. And so I walked out that day, right after that happened. And the first person I laid eyes on was, was this Guy. And I like, kind of walked through. Um, I don't know this this guy, and he was coming out of like a tenement building, and we were pretty far apart, but we ended up like just locking eyes and like being in this total oneness eye gaze, <laughs> you know, just like in the middle of what's called like the projects in in New York City. And where like all at the time, like all the little white kids from the place where I was living would kind of hold their backpack straps and walk really fast through there. And it was like, I always felt like the racism there and I felt like um, I always wanted to take my time walking through, you know, Um, and but in that moment, this is the first person who I saw. And we just locked eyes and like, teared up, truly. And I, he said, I mean, it was a long moment of silence. And then he said, are you okay? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I I was just looking at him and I said, yes, like, hmm. yes. And, and he was like, oh, good. He was like. And he said, you be careful out there, okay, you know? So I I feel like that's kind of, it can be heard in, like, a funny way, like, like that he thought I was crazy or something. (laughs) (laughs) Like, whoa, well, you be careful. But really, we just, like, had this very naked, we were, like, completely skinless, you know, Mm. um, moment. Mm. And it was so beautiful. And I feel like we both felt the oneness. So... Mm. He was the first person I got to like see God walk around as, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <So>.
0: <laughs> wow, I mean, wow, I've got I've got goosebumps listening to listening to those stories, and yeah, there is so much that I'd love to I'd love to unpack in what you just shared, and I I really resonate with that kind of journey myself of feeling like i had religion kind of forced down my throat when i was a kid and and waking up to these ideas that there was so much dogma and just so much harm being done in the name of religion and so i went on this uh almost like an atheistic crusade for years and um it's it's honestly only been in the last i'd say two to three years that i've i've had some of those experiences myself and I feel comfortable using the word God and and as you said so beautifully it's like all of these or at least the mystic origins of a lot of these traditions were pointing to the same thing through the lens of their existing culture and just some of that some of that has just been lost in translation unfortunately
2: absolutely Um, I love just like looking at whatever we call it as like bottled water you know and these different different religions are different brands of water you know it's like doesn't matter if it says Evian or Fuji it's like you know H2O is is what it's holding
3: I love that and it is
2: so cool to just see each like if you just go to each one, as instead of a dogma, but a story mm-hmm. about somebody who encountered the pure present, palpable, mm-hmm. you know, consciousness. Uh, yeah. Then it's just like, yes, yes. Tell me how that happened to Moses at the burning bush. Like, tell me mm-hmm. how how he entered into that space. And it's really beautiful seeing how he entered into that space. He went. He walked off the path that he was habitually on because he saw a burning bush. And so he walked out of his norm and sat with that thing that he was seeing. And he sat there long enough that he could see that the the logs of this bush uh, were on fire but not being consumed. So imagine how long you have to sit and stare into a fire and how deeply you have to stare to see into the wood and see that oh my gosh it's not diminishing at all you know like that's like long that's like an hour you know of being like wait the logs are not getting smaller so the the combination and this is not just a biblical reference like this is like a cool mystical thing of having to be totally present so like exacting fully present in the moment and fully surrendered at the same time Mm -hmm. in order to just sit for that hour and when those two things come up against each other like complete surrender of everything that has happened Mm -hmm. and complete presence to what is happening in this moment Mm -hmm. that is the transcendent moment and that is when he hears the the still small voice inside of him
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: so it's really
0: beautiful that is that's beautiful and and what it brings up in me and this was actually going to be the second part of of my question is in my experience people who've had these these almost kind of accidental kundalini awakenings or moments mm-hmm. of oneness and pure divine rapture it's mm-hmm. it in the stories that i've heard it's almost always been preceded by a a huge amount of suffering and pain and that that moment comes from the surrender to that pain and and allowing it to break you open to that mystery beneath so i'm i'm really intrigued like were you just sitting on your bed and you suddenly felt this energy or was there some kind of precipitory moment that allowed you to to sink into what was there
2: yeah, it's kind of an embarrassing answer. I feel like um, I was very, I was like a really happy person in general, right? Like mm. I, I was an actor in New York City <laughs> and um, but what had happened was I had a big callback um, in Canada. And so I was like flown first class for the first time. I was the only one who they were calling back. So I had to like sign a contract even before I went. It was like in the bag. It felt in the bag, you know, um, for me to have this role. And that night, like in Canada, after the audition, um, I... I said something because it was a horror movie, actually, and my character turns into a werewolf and was killing all of her, all of the students at her school. And it was right after or right around Columbine shootings. Mm. And I, at dinner with all the producers and the director and the writer and everybody, I said... Are you guys concerned at all, you know, about how she's killing her classmates and how it's like mm-hmm. a, like Columbine? And everybody's face just sort of went white and I could see that the writer and director were sort of having to resell the concept to the producers. Like that was something that was a mess to bring up, you know? And I noticed it and I went into the bathroom and I just like breathed, And I was like, I just fucked up. I just (laughs) really fucked up. And so, and then I was supposed to hear whether I got it like right afterwards. And at this point that I had this experience, it was like a week, a week later. And so I think that there was, I mean, I certainly don't think, you know, oh, that was my big suffering. I don't think it was precipitated by suffering. I do know that that's like that was a stressful moment for my for my life, Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that the next day when I heard that I had not gotten the role, um, that it it didn't matter at all. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter at all. It like went right through me, and I I said thank you so much. Like thank you for letting me know. And they were like, honey like you can be upset you know like it's okay you know <laughs> and i was like thank you thank you so and it didn't touch me like there was nothing about it like i had no feeling whatsoever about that ever ever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it was just a totally different moment mm-hmm. in my life yeah
0: mm-hmm. thank you for sharing mm-hmm. um i guess i'm also interested in in the in the weeks and months following this experience um in in what ways did your did your day-to-day life shift and and was there a sense of um was there a sense of, of almost wanting to grasp hold of that experience and and feeling a sense of maybe grief at times where you were in your kind of ego alice and wandering around and feeling disconnected from that sense of of like oneness that you'd experience, and was there this kind of trying to get back to that place in different ways or, or were you able to just let the experience be what it was
2: I just want you to know that it is so sacred that you're asking me this right now I just feel like people don't ask me a lot about it and I don't get to talk mm. about it a lot and I just really appreciate it I feel moved in this moment mm. um I I think I was pretty, I didn't tell anybody about it for a year. Mm. Um, I know that it it was at least a year because I just was humbled. It was like, everybody already knew about this. A lot of people know about it. A lot of people love God. (laughs) And I remember I didn't like the word God even like again, right? I didn't like it at that point either, after that experience, because it felt like, I don't know if you know what you're saying when you say God, that makes no no sense, right? With like the pure experience of this that we're talking about, this total interconnectedness and energy behind all things. Like you're talking about it like it's this person and it makes no sense. but mostly I just was suddenly like writing so much and I just was in it. Like I literally felt like I had to do the breaststroke through New York city streets because, Hmm. because it was so palpable. And I, I would tear up with, you know, like when I was about to, Pass a human on the street, it was like, oh my God. Like, in the same way that a star is actually so much light, the concentration of so much light that it needed a vessel, not the other way around. It's not a vessel that's full of light. It's like there's just so much light right there, you know? In the same way, it felt like that, like this, this such concentration of whatever we call that thing that it needed eyes and a mouth, you know? and legs to walk it around. And so I would be like, "Oh my god, I get to look in its eyes again every time I was about to pass a person." Mm. And it was just a very visceral and very moving and very kinesthetic time. And I did not leave that place for 10 years. Mm. For 10 years like throughout my 20s, I had no interest in doing there wasn't a morning in in that 10 years at all because even though it spiraled and it changed it was only like changing relationship to this thing that mm. it was my entire focus my entire everything it was like oh i should be silent for one day a week you know in order to just pay attention to this thing that is what i will do i will you know, I fell in love with Shabbat in the Jewish religion because it it dedicated one day a week to that, you know, and to just I, I would go to, you know, uh, what I would go to ashrams. I would go to convents like I went to a convent one time, <laughs> a few times, actually, in White Plains. Um, where anywhere where I was allowed to be in silence anywhere, um, because I was weird, I was seriously weird in those 10 years, because first of all, it was way before everybody started taking plant medicine, and everybody, everybody's got a spiritual awakening, thank God. Thank God, seriously, now it's just like, everybody's got one of those. And this is not a special story, thank God. I don't want it to be a special story. This is a story about all of us. Mm And it's actually why I didn't tell this story very much, like because it could the ego could so easily be like, oh, yeah, this is very special. That happened to me. I was not at all interested in making that day a special day or my life, a special life because of it. It was like, no, this is just what we are. What I experienced is what we are. And what's so exciting about it is that now I get to talk about this that we are, which is like totally infinite. and so much bigger than we think we are. You know, there's so much bigger than how we treat each other like Mm. we are. Mm. And so that was what was interesting. Not my story, not my awakening, you know. Um, So mostly I think I kind of wandered the earth in a very nomadic way and like joined eyes with anyone who would let me in a very, very silent way and kind of poor love, like the love that just came naturally out my eyes. So I also got a, a sense of how universal love is, and how little it has to do with romance. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's like, so I kind of was like against the idea of flirtation, right? It was like, what? If you're not flirting with the world, we're not alive, you know, like, so I just wanted no, to no, wipe no, wipe, no, wipe out no. the idea of flirtation. It's just like, are you kidding? <laughs> Talking about watering the world, like that person yeah. actually needs your attention. You're both in the same park. You're both on the same sidewalk. Like right. you're, you have been called to be the eyes for this person in this moment. You're at this cash register, right? Um, so be the eyes be it right now
0: you know yeah wow that's so it's so beautifully put and and i think what comes up for me is is although you shared that there was nothing necessarily special about the experience and yes lots of other people have have talked about more publicly these kind of awakening moments i i think what feels to me unique in a way is that it, it seems like in your case the the veils didn't come back down it's like once you were opened you were able to kind of stay in that place and i think that's what i was if if i think back a couple of years ago to when i was in the depths of grief there was this this kind of raw aliveness that you that you're speaking to and this sense of just deep sensitivity to every person and and nature and this feeling of connection to myself but i think besides a couple of Moments of heartbreak since it it's been it, it's it almost feels like work to reconnect to that place, and it seems like through through some uh divine chance you've been able to stay in that place for a longer period of time and yeah, I guess that's just what i'm what I'm curious about
2: i mean I am too i gotta say Johnny, <laughs> uh, because um I think it for ten years that's correct like um, it would descend upon me, you know. It is something that, like, I needed to go be alone with it. And like, I, you know, one time I I was in a meditation at a, that was at a church, and everybody else left, and I was totally incapacitated. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I would go into this space of oneness that would descend upon me. I didn't go looking for it. Mm-hmm. would happen and so like I'd be at a party and I would literally sneak into a closet and just (laughs) sit because I'm like "Uh uh-oh my ego is about to completely dissipate and I will have no movement in my limbs because I'll be merged with the universe And so I would go and, like, sit in a closet and hope to God that nobody is going to open the door. But that's, like, I did that at least twice in my life, you know. And so, like, one time, I so I was at this, uh, so this time I was, like, looking for it, right. I went to a, a meditation in a church. And then everybody went home and I was totally lit. Like now I know it's called must M-A-S T in right. India. They call people, a whole bunch of people do this. They go must. They can't move. They're completely in union hmm. with God or with, you know, they're completely in union, period. And so some people go around and feed them because they're mostly homeless because they can't move they have no eye they cannot function they have no eye and so they they go around and like make sure they don't die now that is that's what i was experiencing and i was not telling anyone because it would have been ridiculous for me to say i in that time i did not have an eye So, and it just seemed like pure ego and pure story. And I had dropped all story over and over again. There was no story. There was no past. There was no future. There was just presence. Mm. So it's really an incredible, intense and crazy way to live in in, crazy. So really quickly, I went, um, went after that meditation. I just like knocked on the door of that church, you know, Mm and somebody opened the door a man I think a priest and I said excuse me like I could barely talk like a person <laughs> and I said excuse me like could uh, is there like a cell or something that I could just sit and be yeah. just be uh be with God or something like this and he was like um no, I mean, no, they're, they're just for the nuns. And for people, this is a residence, people who live here, you know, he was very annoyed. And he was like, are you okay? You know? (laughs) And I said, yes, I'm so good. And he was like, okay, well, like you can try like the sisters of mercy or whatever down the street or whatever. And I put myself in a cab and like got myself home, but seriously like that. So throughout that time i wasn't always that way but i also kind of lived for that i it it was i was married to that oneness Mm -hmm. i would go where it told me to go and so from that moment from when i was 20 and that happened i think i just really was married to it um it was you know, there was no other ambition. There was, this wasn't even an ambition. It was just, I will walk with this and wherever it leads me is where Mm. I will go. Mm. And then it stopped when I was 30. (laughs) It stopped. (laughs) And I felt like, you know, the words that came to me as God broke up with me. And I I was like the worst morning for the like, you know, for my 30s. That was my
1: experience
0: wow okay so there are are a bunch of questions um and the first thing that came to mind is is just this it seems like this beautiful theme of of what is what is the name of god and that the name god doesn't really seem to do it justice and i I love that image of, of it being like bottled water and it reminded me of this story of um i think this was back in the 80s where uh, religious leaders from all around the world met at an event. And one of the things they were discussing was, you know, what, what is a universal name or label that we can use to refer to this because God and Allah and, and Jesus, you know, no one could really agree. And one of the, one of the Eastern, uh, religious leaders suggested that they use the term, the great mystery. And that was the one term that all of them could agree on. And it reminded me of, of your uh, use of the word X. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I, I think there's, there's something really powerful about that, about what it is. You know, maybe the great mystery is language that points to this even more directly than some of the names that we've been using. Um, but anyway, that was, that was just a little aside. And I'd love to, or well, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing, like, there's, there's two things actually firstly um did you do any any writing or, or, or like were you still engaged in the world in your in your 20s in this period where you didn't feel like the the alice I was present um and 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 part two was again was there a moment where you felt like like god broke up with you and and what was that experience like
2: yes um uh-huh. Okay, some of the writing that I did in that earlier time, um, I I wrote under the name, uh, A Diva's Guide to Spirituality, because I was still acting in Los Angeles at the time, Um, like I moved to Los Angeles soon after this experience, and I was still an actor but in between being an actor, like I would go to this basement with this rabbi, um, and like this tiny little contemplative meditation group in a basement in Los Angeles. And I was just having like complete, just ecstatic, ecstatic experience all the time. Um, while I was like changing outfits and learning lines and, you know, putting on makeup and um, kind of juggling the neurosis, which is what it felt like being an actor was like—wearing all these personas. You know, and it felt so strange to be doing that work. And it was really, it, it when I was about twenty-six, I totally stopped acting because of that. It felt like actually, film is for something. I love media still but it's only to transmit the oneness it's only to transmit the presence that we are so that people could wake up you know compete people would like see something and be like huh I'm feeling something and just sort of accidentally go into silence. Like that's, that's what I felt like it was really for. I didn't want to say anything. And here I'm like doing Apple commercials and, you know, Heineken commercials, <laughs> and, you know, um, and it was pretty amazing. Like I, uh, I, I did that 70s show and that 70s show in that audition, I was at the, a final callback or whatever and it, they were doing it this strange way where everybody was there and they were going to tell us at that moment who got it you know which is not normal at all um usually you get a call and so the casting director came out at the end and said uh she came up to me and there were like 30 girls in the room and she said Alice uh we would like you to do the role And I felt completely, first of all, um, equanimous, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) you know, that word, you know, it was like, I either got this or not, whatever, like, I will do it if I get it, you know, and I felt completely one with everybody in the room who was just told that they did not get it. So that was my experience all the time was this sort of collective organism. I, like there's something that was like, uh, we are one organism with millions of orifices made up to make love with our existence, you know? Um, so like, I felt like them too. And so, and I was so weird in that moment that she said, Alice, Alice, you got the part, you know, she was like, she thought I didn't understand the words. And I'm like, oh, like, so in my mind, it's like, what words would a normal person say? How can I express <laughs> what, you know, that I understand? So I was like, thank you. Thank uh, thank you. You know, so it, it just, uh, I don't even remember your question
0: well just just to to riff off that what what comes to mind is i I wonder if there is this interesting relationship and i'm thinking of jim kerry specifically here of of being in the acting world that allows you to have some distance from these roles and these these masks and these identities and i wonder if part of you was able to do that for yourself as well so that alice became another kind of part that you could choose to play at times but it wasn't like the locus of your identity or your awareness
2: so beautiful exactly it felt um like my experience with acting at that time was like look at all the things we can pretend to be but meanwhile i am this constant underneath them all and i and that is true we are like all these labels we pretend to be like oh look i am a girl oh look i'm an actor oh look i'm you know Mm -hmm. And it's like, these are things I am pretending to be and not what I am. And that's what I felt so much. Actually, I love, I mean, I, like gender was a big thing for me even because I felt so clearly not a woman and not a man. I felt so clearly the androgyny of our souls. Mm -hmm. And so I, it was a very different time again. And. I would say to, like, when I was getting to know a man, I'd be like, so I'm not a woman. You could just, you know, like, I'm not a woman. And I wanted that to, like, fall down. Whatever he thought a woman was, I wanted him to be, like, feeling me like a soul, you know? And, like, get to know me like this whole being. Like, because all the dynamics also around relationships were not kiss you. And if I'm attracted enough to kiss you, then next time I'll sleep with you. And then if I like sleeping with you, I'll go out with you. You know, Mm
1: -hmm. it was
2: like, that's not what's going to happen. That's not where my love is coming from. That's not what we're doing here, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I would say that about like not being a woman, I would say like, I never date. Like if somebody would ask me out, like I do not date um, they were like, what does that mean? And I would say, I think it's the worst way to get to know someone because then we're asking for what we want. We're like interviewing each other and answering from this place of like, what do you want me to be? You know, or like answering from a place of uh, of the masks, right? And I just mm-hmm. wanted to like go go deeper. So mm-hmm. yeah, I do think like that, that actor plays. And I think Jim Carrey is so beautiful. And, and when that started happening to him, I felt like I should run to him Hmm. um, and, and be a part of his life. You know, I really felt, felt him in that. And the fact that he was going through that in like a fully exposed way, I was sort of envious at this point. It was just like, (laughs) yeah, like, because, when God did break up with me when I was like 30 or 32 or so, um, it really felt like, like I went through a huge mourning period of, I "I wish somebody would have asked me questions when I was in that room, Mm -hmm. because there's such a difference between, you know, recalling a room being like, yeah, I think it had yellow couches and a green, you know, floor, (laughs) um, rather than being smack dab in the middle of presence, like feeling like God is sitting on my face. Right. Um, it's like, what does that taste like? You know, I would have wanted someone to ask me what it tasted like.
0: Um,
2: yeah.
0: Mm. So this, this feels like a, a segue into um i am thinking of I, I went on a meditation retreat recently and they they recited and read a lot of the sufi poetry and the sufi literature which is are essentially these like love poems to god and these love poems to divinity and if you're open to talking about it what was that breakup experience like and was it a specific moment where you just kind of fell back into your into alice into your human form or was it something that happened over time, and and how have you how have you kind of evolved, and, and what are the stories that you now tell about that experience now? Like, have you have you drawn meaning from that at all? There's a lot there. Apologies.
2: <laughs> I love it. Um, it happened over time. Um, I had a because I was so adamant, like with my being about being fully in the moment. Um, I from, from when I first fell in love, when I was 20 years old, I cultivated open relationship kind of accidentally. Like when I first fell in love, I was just very clear that I love this being and it didn't mean that I wanted to make rules for his life. So that's what open relationship was, is that I am here to help you be the most, to your highest potential, live each of your moments fully. And that's what we're gonna do for each other. So it was actually very close to that Yom Kippur experience. Actually, I fell in love right before that experience, which I think more than the suffering, um, maybe helped Help bring that into being, also, really quick to go back to that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because actually, actually falling in love let me know that there's something actual about love. Like it also felt palpable. It felt like, oh my mm-hmm. God. And so it felt it sort of, I think, was sort of an introduction to the unseen world in a way, mm-hmm. um, love itself so we cultivated what now people really know as open relationship um but it wasn't at all about having sex with other people it was only about each person kind of having their own relationship to life and having that be primary um and a way to maintain our and sustain kind of the monogamy you know it's like um it's like thinking about eating as a way to sustain your fast. We're always fasting, you know, and it's just like, what do you have to say in order to maintain your silence? You know, like all of these things, it's like, which is the primary. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we were open in order to maintain our monogamy. Um, And so that what was that oh yeah so i always had a very different way of relating to people and then in my late 20s um, i i had a huge kind of catastrophe where like it got more and more open and open where i was finally like totally in love with the love of my life and i was 29 years old when we met and the container needed to be so open so that I could be fiercely in the moment. And it's kind of like having a fire with no, uh,
0: what is it called? No no borders, no Uh,
2: Yeah, like a lantern. It's Mm -hmm. like, if you have a lantern, that's what a nice, a good relationship I feel is, is a lantern, you know? It keeps Mm -hmm. the flame lit. And that's what it's for. That's what its boundaries are for. Um, you can carry it around. You can use it to see, to help guide other people, you know. Um, but at that point, it was so at, like, it was a mandate from my being that I needed to be totally fiercely in the moment so that we had a no lantern at all. And so then it's just fire and can burn everything down right Mm -hmm. including itself and so you know for example he would say to me do you think you want children and I would look him deep in the eyes and I would be like not today you know (laughs) so it's only in the moment and there isn't enough of a tethering or a story to make there and and so he, he left in a way I kind of left him, you know, we just came apart and I was so in love with him. So that was a huge break for me because, because it was like my life of making and I even said to him at some point, I said, do you know that I'm married? I'm married to the moment. I'm totally married to the moment. Um, and if you're married to the moment, then we can be together, right? We can both just sort of, we can be dating, even though we're both actually married to the moment and we'll ultimately, if it takes us a different place, we'll go to that place. You know, um, it will be the priority. And so I think it really hurt me that by following the moment, I lost this person, um, who I am now married to parenthetically. Hmm. Um, So I think in my, that was just such a loss that I, I just became, I felt a little betrayed by that probably without really understanding that. And, And just kept showing up in the same way as I did like at the ashrams and you know, Renting out a cabin in Woodstock and just being there by myself, and kind of going like a lover, like going to all the places where we knew each other, me and presence, and doing all the same things, the things that I would do to seduce it when I did, you know, like walk very slowly with all of my attention in the moment and letting go of the past and letting go of the future and, you know, doing yoga and all the things. And all the ways that I knew how to nurture that, and it it was not there for me. And I know that it was a slower process than I feel like it was because, you know, I... I I know that I like met a friend in the forest somewhere. And I remember I was in a very oneness state and that was when I was 36, you know? So these things where I'm like, okay, I know it was over a long period of time, but it was also just a long period of sort of of aloneness. And I think like I, I started out in solitude in a really beautiful way and it was very purposeful and then it turned into isolation. Mm
1: -hmm. When
2: it's not on purpose, I think that's just isolation. And Mm -hmm. suddenly I'd be alone and lonely. And Mm -hmm. um, so it just was a huge difference. And I just think it's amazing to notice like when life takes a turn, because we have these ideas that like, this is what I think about this, and this is how I feel about this. And we have to just, it's like that heart print, you know, you have to go slowly enough to feel this moment. Like that was you a whole year ago. You're, that person is dead now <laughs> and planted, buried in the soil of what you are becoming in this moment. And it's like, can can I let those, that series of beautiful, beautiful life and beautiful incarnations of myself let them die and come into this moment over and over again so that it can inform me now and I think it took a long time to really just like get that I was in a very different moment that where I did not need people now I need people Mm. where I wanted to live alone now I must live with people like I like these things where it was just like nope everything is different now and so Mm. to catch up with my own life you know
0: wow wow um this this story it it feels reminiscent to me of of ramdas's narrative of spending 10 years in the in the himalayas with his guru and and then coming back to america and having this this conversation with a friend who said you know you've, you've spent so long kind of being high and like being in these states of oneness but you you kind of taken human form. Why don't you try taking the curriculum? And and it sounds almost like a similar um, turning point has happened in your life as well. And that your now husband it's it sounds like was perhaps a catalyst for that. And I'd love to hear, as someone who is recently married myself, um, we were married just almost three months ago today. Um, what have you what have you and your your partner learned about creating those boundaries? for that yes. we're building the lantern for that flame to, to come through and, and have you <clears throat> have you managed to cultivate the conditions for that sense of of loving presence to arise despite having the container
2: mm, so good I feel like I feel like I want to answer an earlier question and then this one really fast
0: mm, please
2: okay um so because it it is a really specific moment that it, uh, like, thank you for the Ramda story. It's so beautiful. It's exactly this. um, I think that that's what life did to me, you know, it was like, (laughs) um, like, no, you're gonna have to be Alice now, you're gonna have to be Alice, like, Uh, I used to just really wear my name. Like even when I put out my first poetry book, it was under that we are. And I was very serious about that. It was like, nobody was supposed to know that who put that out. And it was so, so much that there's like this, you know, the the work of Hafiz and Rumi, a lot of it was translated, especially Hafiz by Daniel Ladinsky, this beautiful poet in his own right. And he, he and I know each other. And that's an amazing story for another time. And he, um, he wanted to write a poem book with me. And he would not write it with me unless I put my name on it. And that was, that was a no for me. Like, it was so I just thought it was like, the worst thing that we could possibly do if the entire all of the poetry is about saying this is who you are you are not your accomplishments you are not your failures you are not this tiny capsule that you have thought you are that the mind thinks you are you are not that mind who thinks you are this like come out of it, we are all one. We are that we are, right? And being in that presence where we're actually all the same thing is so what we're wanting to share. And so then to say, Alice Frank went to this college or did not go to this college and blah, 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 blah. It's just like, are you kidding me? We're going to contract down into these tiny formations that we're trying to express we are not? Like, no, that's like a huge setback in evolution in a moment, like no way. And so that's where I was. It's such a different... So I feel like life was just like okay, so we're going to need you to be Alice now. We're going to put you back into this tiny little body. And, um, I went on Facebook. I made my website. I went on IMDB in one night, all in one night. (laughs) I was like, so never, ever, ever going to do any of those things because they, they, we were too small on Facebook, we're too small in our profile world, like, all these little descriptions of ourselves and like little storefronts for our egos Mm -hmm. um, that we need to maintain and that we're actually reinforcing the ego by maintaining them, right, By, by entering into that exercise. And it was like, no way, that's horrible. It's the opposite of enlightenment. And All of a sudden, it was just like, I am all alone, and I need that's where everybody is, and I need to be with my humanity. I need to be with the humans. And so I'm going to go on here to find my family again you know Mm. and so uh, all in one night I was like okay I am Alice Frank but actually to go on Facebook I was like okay I'm gonna be all us Frank (laughs) 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 because I needed something to point to I'm just kidding you guys I'm not this tiny entity that I'm pretending to be and neither are you we're not these things and and then Facebook at some point they were like we've been told that this is not your legal name and we will take your page down. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was like a catastrophe. I was like, oh, so now I'm Alice Ring. But yeah, I do think that in order, it's like I have to follow my own curriculum exactly because it is not easy for me. I have to purposefully go into silence. It does not happen to me anymore at all, at all. I'm in a totally different place. So now it's like, okay, Put your ear up to your twenty-five-year-old self. Read your book that you wrote when you were in your twenties, mm. and re, like, refine this moment. Come into this moment through your past. You mm. know, definitely.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Um, I I think I sh- I shared that I've <clears throat> recently published a poetry book of myself, and the title is "Remember, Forget, Remember." And it feels like in some ways this is the, the arc of your life in the sense of going through this deep period of, of remembering and, and and almost downgrading the forgetting aspects and, and only celebrating what is pointing to the oneness. Um and I, I think I'm also in a similar place of learning to learning to love the identities and learning to love. of the things that aren't necessarily pointing to the 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 finger at the moon or or whatever the whatever the analogy is um but it's because it's all part of it right but we we tend to kind of um elevate maybe that which is is higher or that which connects to oneness and and somehow think we're above or we use the word more evolved than than the humanness <laughs>
2: that's right and it's yeah it's just so good to like be be in the persona like mm. be here and feel what that feels like and like love what you love and hate what you hate and you know and be in the personal love like i love we both just got married and it's like yeah that go for it be tiny yeah
3: it's because perfect.
2: you can't it's be you know like it it all of all of it is infused with that oneness. It's not other than you know it's mm-hmm. it's all in here. And so it's just such a different way to like it's what Tantra is. It's like going all the way into into yep. creation. Yep. Yep. So you had asked, oh, I love the title of your book so much. um I love the um the word remember even think about it as like, uh like the the parts of our bodies are like, members
0: like remembering yeah yeah,
2: yeah. and yeah. i i love it as like if you think of a penis as a member have you mm. heard it referred to as that yes. like your member <laughs> your blazing member <laughs> so in that um <laughs> i love thinking of it as like actually making love to remember if it's a man and a woman
1: say mm. wow
2: remembering is actually like penetrating in mm-hmm. and then oh actually two men true also but like um penetrating in and then forgetting is pulling out mm-hmm. and then remembering is mm-hmm. pulling in and so there's actually a <laughs> poem that I have I don't remember it exactly but it's like that's what makes the love is the back and forth. Like you don't mm. want to just like go into someone you're like, uh, what, am what, are, what are you doing here? You know, <laughs> uh, like maybe move back again and yeah. then come back. And so it is like, it's what makes life. It what mm. makes love. It's what makes ecstasy and beauty is the back and forth. It's like mm. what it's all for,
1: you know? Mm.
0: Yeah. We're just the universe making love to itself. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. Uh,
0: so I, am um, well. I, for one, am glad that you decided to take a a Facebook and Instagram profile because I was I was stalking your account um, earlier this week, and some of the some of the quotes that you've shared, I, I really love. And there was one that I I pulled out, and you said, "Let's relieve reality of its seriousness and restore rightful play," and. I guess I'd love to hear from you. Like, what does what does play mean to you? And in the most recent decade, how have you begun to get out of your own way now that Alice is is kind of back in the hot seat?
2: Such a fun question, <laughs> and I will go back to the one about relationships. So maybe okay. they're maybe they'll go together somehow. Um, oh my goodness! I think that taking things lightly makes you just snap into your highest potential most often. I think that uh, when we think something is really important, it often makes us very rigid, you know, makes Mm -hmm. it. And so taking especially the things that we, that are so sacred to us or so important to us or like, Oh my God, it would change my life if this would happen and softening and let it be like one of my favorite mantras does not make sense to the mind. But one of my favorite mantras is, can you imagine if it mattered? Can you imagine if it mattered? And it doesn't make sense, that mantra, if you say it from your mind. But if it is your heart saying that to your mind with the softest, most loving voice, can you imagine if it mattered, then like your clown is spoken to you become your own clown you're like oh my god little mind ha 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 like you thought it was so important just now how cute are you you know it's just a thousand people it's just whatever it is like it's just this moment and I swear with that mantra you can It it sometimes will snap you into this moment as something soft and available for the moment to live through you in the maximum way. It just is. So the best thing we can possibly do is relieve ourselves from that seriousness. Like seriousness mm-hmm. is the violence within you, you know? <laughs> wow. And so especially that seriousness, yes. especially where there is seriousness for you, those are the sites to cultivate play in like an uh, like proactive way with all the tools you know how and that's the simplest one for me like can you imagine if it mattered sometimes like one time I had like a mala and I don't use it in in the classical way like my 108 beads and you know do my little meditation with my mala I don't do that but I was about to go on stage one time and I had it in my hand and with each bead I was like can you imagine Can you imagine if it mattered? And I was just walking like that. And my heart got so soft and I felt so available. And I so tuned in with love that is the whole reason that you're going to go on stage, is the whole reason you're going to show up on a date, is the whole reason you're alive. So it's just like, how can, it's what you said before, returning to your heart. How can you get really juicily in your heart? And I think so many of these things sound you know sound very conceptual sound really nice and it's such a literal thing like coming into your heart like if you can massage your the center of the chest with your fingertips like almost violently <laughs> like open it open your chest cavity <laughs> you know like open up your heart it's a literal literal thing mm-hmm. you know
0: so. yeah Wow, and that reminds me of, um, on this this meditation retreat, it was, the center is called radaya, which is, I, I believe, Sanskrit for the the spiritual heart, which is meant to be uh, two fingers width away from the the spine. Sternum. Um, yeah, away from the sternum. And there's a practice that they, uh, they shared with us, which is, they called it blowing on the embers of the heart. And it's like imagining that there is this fire in your heart. And when you breathe, it's like the air is tickling this Mm. part of you and over time as you say there is this like felt tangible presence that builds there and it goes from being this abstract idea to something that you actually you feel and you can kind of like soften into Um, yes
2: i think those are the kinds of things that are like rebuilding my connection now you know just so Mm. much um where it's like, no, that is that's literal. It's something <laughs> that that we have to hack into, like mm-hmm. hack into the moment, hack into your heart. Like, yeah, it's it's technology. We have to do it.
0: So, on that note of on the theme of hacking into the heart, uh, something that Max mentioned is that you've recently started uh, love coaching, and that he he shared you're incredibly gifted at helping people to break out of societal norms around what love is and isn't and i would love to hear um how how your perspective on all conditional or unconditional love has has changed and what is it that you're kind of hoping to guide couples or or individuals through in your coaching Mm
2: -hmm. well um, um i I think that mostly I, I want partnerships that exist on this planet to serve humanity rather than just themselves, because I don't think they can just, you know, I, I think that's what they're for. I think that if we think about humanity as a village, um, then it's very lucky and almost uh, not the norm to have these nodes that come together as partnership. You know, that feels very specific. I've always just felt like we, we pretend that that's the given for every single person's life. And that's just a very specific way to go. Like, hey, I, I promise forever this is what's going to happen. It's like, what? Someone put that in your head. That's totally made up. Do you know that that's completely made up? Like if you were just born on an island, like that is not what you would necessarily think was normal at all. So it's like such a conditioning. It's crazy how conditioned that is and how unquestioned it has been. Mm-hmm. And so that's like number one It's like, dude, follow your organic path and see what is true for you. Like you might, like we, we take on the idea that we're so jealous because somebody's looking at someone else. That might not even be true for you. If you just let everybody else's voice of like, oh, if they loved you, they wouldn't look at someone else. Throw that out the window and just see how you feel about it. See, see and walk close enough to it that, that you find what's true there. Like, I just think that most, uh, because we're so conditioned, it's like, okay, that's what I'm looking for. If I do not find this one person to give all my love to, I will not be successful. I will not be happy. I will be alone, you know? And we said this before that, that actually, I think coupleship compulsive coupleship like that, the kind that we are conditioned with has taken over community, right? Mm -hmm. Has, has become the community so that Mm -hmm. if, If you don't find that you're fucked, man, you're just fucked because nobody else is going to catch you and you're going to be alone. And that's a huge problem. And it makes us, of course, it makes us totally desperate. And that's not the way we're going to find our organic truth and really know what we think about anything at all. We're just going to be literally dancing the void of hell you know, which is a void dance, right? Like we're just gonna be in like, oh my God, like what if I don't like what if you're not funny enough to be my husband? What if you're not good at, what if I'm not pretty enough? What if I like it's all just gonna be a mess. every date. I just want like anyone who's going through that dating. <laughs> it's like a total insane nightmare if we treat it like, if you don't find your person, you're going to fall into the void of nothingness. And so I liked to take that center that we've given away and that conditioning back into our center and say, like, no, actually, here I am. I have a life. I am alive. I have a whole net of people who I love and who love me. And even if it's not a net that I hold on to and know the names of all the time, I walk through the world and I can feel people and I can feel love and I can feel my own presence coming out at people as I walk down the street, you know? And so I think like, first of all, just like knowing where your community is, even if it's like, as you walk or, um, Because I, it is like love coming out of your own heart is happiness, I think it's not like, who's gonna love me like looking for that person who's gonna love me. It's actually open your heart right now, like instead of walking down New York City streets and being like, Oh, my God, nobody even looks at each other. Nobody, you know, like, everyone's totally alone start saying hello, start opening your own heart, start saying, you know, being, being the thing you would like to happen. And it changes, it changes a lot, you know. And so I think in my practice, it's all about the heart print, it's all about organically um, letting people find what their joy actually arises from. And I I do think the way that we are conditioned, most of us are sort of hiding out in the bathroom of our relationships. So what I mean by that is being like, okay, we've got water, here's a sink, right? We've got water, we've got a window so we can open it up. You know, like we're okay, just lock the door and we're good, right? Like no one's gonna come in, nobody's gonna be prettier than me, nobody's... And like, we're fine, we're fine, as long as we just hold on tight. And that that's how we create our relationships around fear, right? And around sort of just like bare necessities. And that actually, if we can trust and like play with it, right, like say, um, yeah, it scares me that you have a friend who is beautiful, And I hear that you're just friends, but that's scary for me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But let me dance with that. Let me, like, let me say yes to it. Let me be vulnerable in the fact that it's scary, but not let my fear be the boss of me, not let Mm -hmm. the ego be the boss of me and say, like, I feel scared that you're going to dinner. And of course you should go to dinner, right? Mm -hmm. And then and like, let communication be everything and go all the way to the edge of it so that I get to find out like, oh my god, I was so afraid. And then the whole time you were gone. Like, I was so nurturing to myself. I did my taxes. I, you know, called somebody, (laughs) you know, like things that I've been like avoiding in my own life because we're always together. I've been, or like, I call someone who I always like, I haven't returned my calls because I'm in a relationship now, you know, and we hang out or whatever it is, like that. I am more than this than this little balancing act of a relationship that's constructed out of fear. I am wider than that. I am more expansive than that. And wow, my heart can actually incorporate more love. I can be happy for my partner that mm. he has a friend, you know? Mm. And I can be even curious about this person. Um, I made up the word uni-amory because you know, for a long time I had open relationships, but I never felt that the word polyamory like was a strategic word for me or a fitting word because I felt like, no, sometimes I'm with no lovers. I'm just with myself. Sometimes I'm with one person and very good with that. And sometimes I'm with everybody, you know, just sort of universally. And so I needed a word that incorporated all of that because to focus on the manyness, like oh yeah, I'm poly, like I I need many, it's like no, it's i uh, I I'm also it's it's all one like and also thinking of those different relationships, even if I do have two different lovers, thinking of them as two separate loves is not helpful for me. The only reason to ever have my partner, allow my partner, (laughs) I'm saying allow, but really we all, we we belong to ourselves actually. Um, That to let them be with another person is to exercise my own expansion. Is to say I, like their love is not separate from our love. I can like wrap my heart around that other person and, like, include that love in our love, and so things like this, and at the same time, I'm loving monogamy right now. I have no interest in enforcing that idea upon my husband. Um, I, it is, like, what I help people through in, like, especially at times of their marriage where they, where somebody is interested in someone else, like, I just think it's so sad that so many marriages end, Mm. or relationships end, because somebody was curious, you know, and it's like, oh, God, you know, how often does it happen, where you're like, no, 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 I'm really, really curious, and then you, like, break up with someone, so that you could go and investigate, and all you think right when you when you're doing that like the first meeting it's like oh man like I really want to be with my partner right now you Mm -hmm. know and how sad it is that things like are so intense that it has to end over that so I do think that going back to the unconditionalness like the, the idea that I love you, except if you are interested in someone else, like, I think that is a huge condition. That, uh, that is actually a very huge opportunity to open your heart and be like, okay, love, I am so, I want to be curious with you. Like, why do you think that's coming up? Who do you think this person is for you? What, you know, what, what is what's happening in your life you know like what is this and like how do we navigate this now how do we do this so i think each person just has their own path their own each moment is their is your own
1: you know
0: hmm. so hmm. <laughs> 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 well wow. um i i loved the 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 idea that you you opened with about partnerships and and, and marriage being in service of humanity and in in our own wedding um part of our part of our vows and part of our commitments to each other is to show up as mirrors but still holding a place of love because i i feel like intimate relationship is the arena that is going to bring up our shit it's going to bring up our shadow and it feels like the the great art or the great dance is how can you hold the partnership how can you hold each other in that space of love while still navigating through whatever the tension whatever the resistance is and that's something that we've been of going through even in the last few weeks and and on the other side of that there is this expansiveness and this even greater intimacy and, and connection but it 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 does require like a reframing of what the point of partnership even is um
2: absolutely i i, I would love that to just be what partnership is for i also really honor that it's for different things for each of us in different moments of our lives That. Sometimes we just need a vessel that's very, very closed. We need to just hold on to each other for a few years, you know, um, to, to heal trauma, you know, to heal, to heal. Um, so, so everybody's life path is so, so different. And so the partnership is going to morph and change, um, throughout, throughout our time together um I love when somebody is that has been really open and poly and then they're pregnant and they're like
1: what the you know
2: like it's just like are you kidding me (laughs) you know it's just like like that is inappropriate and they are correct you know for them they are correct like like the man is like, what just happened to my partner? She was totally into this, you know? And then it's just like, yeah, her body is becoming a house and she needs <laughs> um, her partner to to be a builder of that house, you know, to be a caretaker of that house. So it's just, I, I think the main thing is really like so much listening and so much faith in yourself to To know what you need, and then go even deeper. Like the the balance of knowing, like being pretty secure, and like, no, this is this is where I am, and then being brave. You know, then like taking a moment to be like, but what does me in this moment being brave look like? Mm, And can is there space for that?
0: Yeah, I I love that, and. In the, uh, in the spirit of, of keeping containers, I'm, I've just noticed the time. and This is fast becoming the mm-hmm. longest podcast conversation that I've ever had. So I, I do want to be respectful of your time. There's, there's a couple more things I'd love to touch on. And one of them is uh, shifting gears to talk about your, um, your Zero Books product. Mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I, I love this line that silence isn't what it sounds like. Um, And I'm definitely going to order one as soon as we return to the U S and probably about 10 for friends and family. So could you just briefly share what is zero box and what inspired it?
2: Yes. I think exactly what we're talking about, like my needing or my, my time to, to teach my own, like use my own curriculum from the past is exactly where I am. You know that now um, to go into silence, uh, instead of it's being something that I obviously know exactly how to do. I recall and call upon all of the tools that I've cultivated in my life and sort of have, have been shown in my life. So um, some of them are, are come as little mantras, really, like, while i've been in silence in my life i there will be like a phrase that comes up and if i say that phrase in my mind everything washes away right like it takes all my whole mind with it and so accidentally i've had like a very strong mantra practice in my silence where I'll be totally without mind. And then if mind comes up, there will be something like, like, well, I don't want to give away. Here, I'm actually going to draw a card and see what it chooses for us. No, I'm not. Okay. (laughs) I don't know, I just drew a card. It was like longer than I would. So, (laughs) It was like an embarrassing one, Um, but it will be like the one that I shared, like nothing or nothing just happened and nothing was about to, this is what is happening. That's like one of the strongest ones for me is nothing just happened. And it's like imploding the left side of the body Mm -hmm. and the whole past. Nothing is about to imploding the right side of your body and everything that could possibly be and coming down the midline of your body, this is what is happening and coming into presence. And so there are these these sentences that came out of the silence, like directly, um, kind of crystallized out of the silence. And so those those are things that I've always wanted to share. And so I made this little deck of mantra cards And that is one of the tools in something called the zero box, which is a toolkit for having a silent practice at home. It's a silent retreat at home box. And uh, so it has all these little spiritual tools, spiritual technologies, like different mindfulness tools to use in order to create that and cultivate that at home. And honestly, it's just something that I'm using for myself at home. It has a shawl in it that says in silence on it so that as soon as you put that on, you can really, first of all, it's so different to not talk and to be in silence. Like I've gone days sometimes like just not talking to anyone and being on Facebook and whatever, and living in New York city. And then like, even while I'm walking in New York, I can just be walking and thinking and, and not talking. And say to myself, I'm in silence and everything shifts. Suddenly I'm walking more slowly. My gaze is much more outward and I'm really seeing what's in front of me and my mind is much quieter. So it's, it's a state of being as being in silence. And I just think that it's so exciting to share about it because, because a lot of people think of it and it's like, Oh my god, I couldn't go a day without talking. I would just go crazy, you know? Mm. And we don't realize that like actually the mind is always talking <laughs> so often. <laughs> like there's so much in the silence that that is active. And mm. so it's never it's never boring. It's never too quiet, you know.
3: So
0: completely completely. Yeah. That that reminds me of um again on this silent retreat. One of my friends afterwards shared how how nourishing it was to be around people who had a shared appreciation for mm-hmm. silence and the degree of for me it, it's really obvious when you're eating like you just notice yes. the the tastes and the textures and the flavors that you just completely bypass when you're you know normally in conversation or just ho- like hoofing it down so that you can get to the next thing. Um, yeah that was something that I really noticed
2: and it's not something that happens like just for special people or a certain group of people it really is whenever we like slow down enough Mm. to to feel that and and I do think we can learn from each other these little these little words or these little ideas or you know that when you close your eyes to meditate that you're you're listening you're listening like as if a lover is going to tell you a secret you know like to sit down with that sort of what you were saying like the flame in your heart like with that kind of subtle tenderness you know it's so different than i'm watching my breath i'm supposed to not be thinking but i'm thinking you know it's it's all of us that can do this and i think it's just really Really important to remember.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay. This this has been such a this has been such a pleasure. We didn't even <laughs> talk about nudity, Johnny. I I feel like I I didn't even touch on about eighty percent of the questions that I had. So so thanks I, for I letting
2: me like pour words out it was so fun we will it. have
0: to have a round two at some point um mm-hmm. and I, I guess before we before we wrap up where can listeners read your poetry and and why your, your onesies for oneness we didn't even talk about those either mm-hmm. or your, your your coaching and diving <laughs> into some of the videos that you've made and um, what's the best yeah. place for people to find you
2: I would say Instagram is perfect now that I'm on there Um, and that is Uni Amory. So it's U N I A M O R Y. Um, Yeah. That one love. So. Hmm. I mean, you looked in all the places. Do you think that's the best spot?
0: i think that's great i think also your (laughs) website that is the same the same name yes you can get the um the zero boxes and the the onesies and that that was a good Mm. portal (laughs)
2: yeah and i love i love questions and i love contact so much i love connection Hmm. and i love this so much thank you so much i i so appreciate your voice and your sensibility and I can feel the experience behind all of what you're sharing here. Hmm.
0: Thank you. Well, speaking of questions, um, I usually like to close with this line from Rilke, And he said, try to love the questions themselves and to live them now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live your way into the answer. And with that in mind... What is the question that you feel like you're living yourself right now? And what is one question that you might leave our listeners with?
1: How
2: do I open? it all. (laughs) How do I open? I think it's just a constant one. And uh, I feel the question, I mean, I, I won't edit because this is just what comes up is who am I? It's such a simple one, but I, I just feel I my, my answer <laughs> is that as we ask that question, like the thing that is all of us and speaking through all of us is something that we can tap into, like that, that foundational layer of infinite ocean that then comes through our little bodies and in the wave in, of the moment, you know, but just that we can feel that connectedness of all of us. I I feel that right now. And, um, yeah, I love picturing ourselves as literally a question mark. I feel sometimes I feel like a period and it's so fun to actually embody a question mark. Just like, oh, like in the middle of a conversation where I'm like, blah, blah, this person. And I just soften my body actually into a question mark. I'm like, oh, I have no idea actually so this is great I, you know i love that i, I sometimes <laughs> think
0: about the universe itself and you know maybe even god like being a question and that we yes. are this like ever unfolding answer
2: the great that's, mystery that's so good. yeah the great mystery and yet the only thing we can know like the, the really fast the word uh the word for knowledge in hebrew is yada. And it also is the word for making love. So it's why people say, do I know you biblically, right? (laughs) Do we know each other biblically Uh is because you're saying, wait, did we have sex, you know, because knowledge is penetrating fully into something and, and making love. And so, yeah, that I think God is the unknowable and the great mystery. And the only thing that is literally in your mouth right now and in your eyeball <laughs> so you're knowing it right um, now
0: well on that biblical bench, <laughs> i, uh, I want to say thank you so much this has been thank an you absolute so freaking pleasure um and i am certain that we will have around you at some point so thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your just eloquence with with speaking to some of these things it's it's been such a gift
2: so much, it's
0: so beautiful to be here, love. And have a great one. You too. We will wrap the show with that. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It would mean a lot to me if you could take a few seconds to open up your podcast app and give Curious Humans a shiny five-star rating. This not only helps more people to find it, but it will help me to get more awesome guests in the future. And if you're not already subscribed, then the Curious Humans newsletter is where I share monthly morsels of interestingness and podcast updates. You can sign up for that at johnny.life. That's J-O-N-N-Y dot life.